good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Couldn't cut, didn't cut again. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Hey, Kadagi to all my friends and relatives in four directions. You are listening to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. We discuss local and national Native news and events. And as you know, Haley, Native issues are human issues and human issues are Native issues. You're exactly right, Dega. This portion of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Hey, uh, we are on at 5 p.m. now, and we're grooving on this, uh, just a little different, but we're really happy to be on and happy uh, uh, people are listening, and we really have a jam-packed show tonight. Uh, uh, we have the lieutenant governor who uh, sends us a nice little piece uh, weekly, or bi-weekly, I should say, and then we have Dr. Stately, one of the... Uh, Things I want to talk about real quick before we get to the lieutenant governor. She was a keynote speaker today at the uh, at National Congress of American Indians, which was held at uh, Mystic Lake, uh, the casino out there. And uh, that's all week, the National Congress of American Indians. I also uh, got to see... Uh, uh, a couple other speakers like uh, Secretary Deb Holland was there. Uh, we also had uh, a guest of ours, too. Uh, the lawyer for Leonard Peltier spoke and spoke very eloquently about uh, us supporting uh, Leonard's release and how much uh, power we have as, an, as nations across uh, Turtle Island and it was good that uh, he came and spoke to all these leaders across Turtle Island. So uh, this is going on, Haley, all week at, at uh, Mystic Lake, and I'll be heading back there after the show uh, to uh, drop in and check out the market. They have a big market there, and it's uh, pretty exciting. Um, How late is that open till today? The market's open till 9, so oh. they have a big market there, and it, and uh, – a lot of vendors there, uh, so I'll be swinging by there again uh, and supporting and asking a lot of questions from these. Uh, it's not only sales, but there's uh, people that, whether it's uh, like uh, the Indian governance uh, is there and has a booth. There's, uh, nice. there's quite, quite a few groups across Turtle Island. Plus, there's swag and, you know, uh, beading and things like that being sold. And I saw a lot of silver too and turquoise, which is our uh, relatives Ooh. of the South that uh, uh, do that. So it'll, it'll be very cool and very cool to head back. But what I want to do Haley right now is I want to um, uh, touch base here and uh, play uh, the segment that the Lieutenant Governor sends us every two weeks. Go ahead and play it. Buju, this is Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan. What an incredible end to one of the most productive legislative sessions of our lifetime. The work we did together this session will make a generational impact on our state, lowering costs, improving lives, and cutting child poverty. None of these victories would be possible without the deep partnership across community, across the legislature, and across our state. So thank you to everyone from community who showed up to help get this done. There's so much good stuff in this budget, including things that I've worked on my entire career, and I'm so proud to share a few highlights of the One Minnesota budget. I'm thrilled that projects like that are deeply embedded in community are included in this package, like Onda Young, which we visited this spring and saw firsthand the need for investment and renovation, Division of Indian Work, the Indigenous People's Task Force, New Native Theater, Little Earth Residents Association, Little Earth Neighborhood Early Learning Center, Indian Health Board, uh, Lower Phelan Creek, the Wakantipi Center, um, Native American Community Clinic, Red Lake Tribal College, the Minnesota to fund and the Leech Lake Wellness Center in Cass Lake. And all of these have been led by and for the urban Native community as well as tribal nations and members. It is an incredible accomplishment. And I am so grateful to everyone who worked so hard to get this done. 
the higher education omnibus helps to create more pathways for Minnesota students uh, to attend college or workforce training. This includes the American Indian Scholar Program, which covers tuition and fees for American Indian students residing in Minnesota and enrolled members of Minnesota Tribal Nations seeking an undergraduate degree at one of Minnesota's two- and four-year public colleges and universities. I can hardly believe it. This package also increases funding for the Tribal College Supplemental Grant Program and establishes the North Star Promise Program, which provides free undergraduate tuition at public two- and four-year colleges and universities for Minnesota residents and families with a household income of $80,000 or less. The public safety omnibus invests in a spectrum of public safety solutions to help keep everyone safe in their community. These historic gun safety and violent crime prevention measures include implementing universal background checks to close the loophole for private transfers of semi-automatic weapons and handguns and extreme risk protection orders. It expands the Office of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives with new full-time staff positions and funding for the Advisory Council, establishing a reward fund for information on missing and murdered Indigenous relatives as well. It provides funding for tribal nations to hire their own tribal uh, assistant probation officer staff to work in tandem with the Department of Corrections and county supervision agencies through an MOU and invest in community-based crime prevention, juvenile justice, and the Minnesota Department of Human Rights. And one of the most meaningful items in this budget package is ensuring that people who are incarcerated have access to free phone calls with family and friends. The housing omnibus is also historic. It's a historic $1 billion investment, a billion with a B, the largest single investment in housing in state history that addresses the entire spectrum of housing stability, from our relatives experiencing homelessness to renters to first-time homebuyers. We also passed $240 million to replace lead pipes across the state because everyone deserves safe, clean drinking water. But right now, over 100,000 pipes are leaching lead into our drinking water, presenting the greatest risk to children and to pregnant people and disproportionately harming marginalized communities across the state. So we're going to get this done and we're going to make sure that people have clean, safe drinking water. And while the 2023 legislative session may be over, Governor Walls and I are committed to continuing to work in partnership with the legislator, leaders and community, and people all across the state to make sure that Minnesota is the best state for all children and families to thrive. Miigwech, Pinagigi, and back to you. Wow, Pinagi, thank you, uh, Lieutenant Governor, and wow, what a great report that we have every couple weeks from uh, Lieutenant Governor Haley, and um, wow, we're just blessed to have that report, and just a reminder of all the great things that uh, our trifecta here in Minnesota has done for our Native community, which uh, has never really happened before, really, and uh, how the Native community, Haley, uh, worked together as right. a tandem about, you know, bringing these bills up. And it was really powerful to see the cooperation mm-hmm. between all these great community uh, organizations. Right, right. And uh, yeah, so she, Peggy was talking a lot about like the urban native community and heard her shout out uh, New Native Theater. Uh, yeah. And then uh, also, you know, NAC, Native American Community Clinic here in Minneapolis, uh, one mm-hmm. of our amazing sponsors sponsors as well, just doing really great work. And I think that's huge for the state of Minnesota. Um, free undergrad tuition for two to four year public uh, public college. That's for, na- for native kids. Yeah. For natives. That's, yeah. That's, that's that huge. Is amazing. It, yeah. It's a, it's a game changer too. And that's why it is. for me, before me, Haley, I'm really working on my, with my other job to get uh, Ho-Chunk recognized in Minnesota. And I think uh, it's long overdue and we're one of the original uh, treaty signers in 1855. So we're excited about the possibilities of that. But, you know, uh, one thing she said today that I just want to end this segment with, and uh, we, again, we'll have Dr. Stately up next. Uh, she said, when native communities are healthy, and prosperous, the whole communities are. And I really, truly have never heard that said, but I do believe that. I do believe that. And she gave a great example about uh, the COVID vaccines uh, that were directed to the Native Americans. And when they had enough, they gave it to the community. So that's how we roll. And uh, we're here, and it's the, the medicine wheel all over again. Hey, you're listening to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake. Up next, Dr. Stately. Oh, wow. 
Stay with us. Hey, Olga, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit MN350.org. A lot has changed since 2020. Metro Transit wants to hear from you to help build a network that best serves the Metro's needs for the next five years. Help us grow the right way as more resources, like more drivers, become available. Learn more, fill out an online survey, and find out about upcoming meetings in your neighborhood at metrotransit.org slash network hyphen now. metrotransit.org slash network hyphen now. When we heal from our traumas, when we face our fears, let go of our addictions, when we relearn our values, when we live our teachings, respecting our elders, cherishing and honoring our children, when we honor and take care of our spirit, there will be no room left for sexual violence. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Turn to Auto Technical with your vehicle donation. We have families waiting for a car. You know, over 85% of unemployed are successful in finding and keeping a job if they have dependable transportation. A car plus a job equals a life changed. 612-919-5526. We have families waiting for a car. 919-5526 or autotech.org. Welcome back to Native Ritz Radio Presents. I'm awake and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Minnesota 350, a grassroots organization fighting for climate justice. Yes, they do. Hey, we're here with Dr. Stately. Uh, he is the president and CEO, executive director of Native American Community Clinic here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And we always love talking to Dr. Stately Monday. Dr. Stately, I just got to say a quick thing here is like we're on an hour earlier and it's kind of cut into my, my nappy time and I'm a little out of it right now. Oh, yeah, me too, actually. I was just thinking about that because uh, I was here waiting for like the time to jump on and I was kind of like, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm cutting into your NPR time too. Ho. Oh. Oh. <laughs> somebody came to knock on my door and they're like, are you, um, are you talking to somebody? Are you sleeping? Cool. Hey, we just had the Lieutenant Governor's piece on that she sends us every two weeks, and uh, she mentioned the Native American Community Clinic and uh, the funding that's heading your way. And I I saw her today at, I saw her today, Doctor Stately, at uh, the National Congress of American Indians at uh, Shakopee today, which is going on all week, and. What a what a story! And I want to. I was just ending the last segment talking a little bit about this, and I want to just get your feedback before we uh, catch up on what you're doing, what you've been doing. And she said that, you know, when Native American communities are healthy, the whole community is healthy. And she made the story. She told the story about when vaccines first came out, and we had enough for. Not only our own native community, but we also started vaccinating everybody in the community, and that was a great example. Yeah, yeah, no, that is a great example. I do just think also that it gets um, so. In and I think if she had done her job explaining it, is like what we found was that <clears throat> you know, in lots of situations, not even just here in Minnesota, this is actually true fundamentally across so many tribal communities both within um, rural areas, reservation communities, and then also urban areas <clears throat> across the United States that during the pandemic, um, tribal, tribal people, um, you know, 
did what they do, which is we practice our values of being a good relative and, and sharing our resources and, you know, and stepping into those spaces and helping when we can, right? And lots of places, we did a much better job of rolling out and getting vaccines into the arms of people who are eligible to have them early on in when the vaccine rollout. And we did, in many ways, we did a better job of doing that than even the states or the local jurisdictions mm-hmm. did themselves, the local public health jurisdictions Absolutely. and big health systems. That has a lot to do with, like, you know, um, the... Uh, the ability for us to sort of be nimble and to work quickly and effectively on finding solutions and not being bogged down in red tape. Um, actually I should call that white tape um, <laughs> and, um, and, um, and, and the like that helps to kind of like move things faster along in a, in a more streamlined fashion. I also happen to think that it fundamentally does speak to this greater idea of, um, uh, of, of equity in general um, around health and other things like um, one of the things that um, um, I think is a good principle to operate from which is the idea of like you know if you are creating structures within whatever structure you're dealing with whether that be healthcare, education um, you know um, job development any of these things any of these um, any of these places where Indigenous people or Black folk are um, having the worst outcomes in a um, in a um, in a, a jurisdiction or in a state or in a nation. When you do a good job of it, of doing what you need to do to invest in addressing the inequities that are embedded within a structure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you and you are dealing with structural racism and and those uh, and the and, and the um, antecedents from that and and you are you are fundamentally fundamentally you take care of the people who are at the sort of at the sort of the bottom rung of society everybody everybody from them on up benefits and 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 the health and the well-being of the entire nation improves dramatically um why is that important because like i just read this piece the other day like the United States, for the first time in like 50 years, has had the worst um, decline in life expectancy over the last couple of years. And actually, this research project, this research piece that I was reading, said that we have been on that trajectory longer than they originally thought, and it's worse than they originally thought. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks it happened during COVID, and that was certainly a, 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 um, a factor. But actually, this has been happening since the 1930s or 40s or 50s that slowly the life expectancy rate of the um, of, of the United States has gotten much worse than lots of other places around the world. That probably has a lot to do with like the industrialization of things and the commodification of um, goods and services and other things like health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. Stately, too, just to back up what you were saying before, I know a lot of nations, tribes over the Turtle Island and communities talk about the medicine wheel, and, and we kind of we just touched a little briefly on, on how we are joining with all the colors. You know, some tribes talk about the colors being white and uh, African-American and Asian and uh, mm-hmm. in, in the medicine wheel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good... Um I was just having this big, deep conversation with somebody the other day about this. Somebody was, I forget who they were off the top of my head. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a little sleepy, so I don't have the ability <laughs> to remember their name. But we're talking about, like, the medicine wheel and whether or not, like, there's a lot of tribes that will say, like, the medicine wheel isn't a isn't a thing for them. It's not, like, you know, that, that's, that doesn't represent the way they think. Um, it's not something that was part of their tribe. <clears throat> and while that's true, I think it, the medicine wheel has become sort of kind of like this pan Native American symbol of sort of like um, a philosophical way of, the, of organizing our understanding of the world. It is fundamentally um, becoming a universal symbol for, for, for many tribes because and tribal people because it does distill in some fundamental ways the way we think about um health and well-being and balance and living in balance um you know the the important things that are are that there's a representation there that is um clearly different than sort of western ways of thinking of health and well-being 
right? Uh, mm-hmm. And um, living living life in a good way. Um, you know, <clears throat> uh, I think what's what's not lost on me is that you know it is the it is a circle, and within sort of the natural world, but also within the philosophical way that we think of as of health and well being, and um, uh, and, uh, and living in balance is recognizing that inside of a circle, there's no hierarchy. A circle doesn't have hierarchy by nature, right? There's right. Um, everything, all parts of the circle are important. All, all things within the circle have equal value. And there is, um, it also happens to be one of the strongest structures in the world, right? So mm-hmm. um, that, is, uh, that prevents, um, that, that is um, indestructible. Look at atoms. Atoms are, you know, circles on, upon circles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that probably there's some conception, con- there's some relevance there to the concept of that can be aligned with a lot of our indigenous physical, uh, uh, our philosophical values across um, across um, tribal nations. Yeah. Well, you know, and. and- to talk talk a little bit uh, just to, to our, our our white allies that are listening to us all over Turtle Island is uh, we talk about uh, pan uh, natives. We all don't like you know everyone talks about smudging and sage. Well, like for instance, Ho Chunk, we do that with flat cedar. So we all mm-hmm. have our different ways uh, that are kind of the yeah. similar, but they're different. Yeah, yeah, and there were actually. The things that we would use to sort of like pray with, smudge with, cleanse ourselves, those kinds of things, those those things are have a direct relationship to who we are as people and our place on the earth, right? And the relationship to both the earth and to the cosmos. There's like, there's alignment in, in those. Like, that's why um, <clears throat> one of the things I don't think we talk a whole lot about, it's a, which is like why one of the earliest sort of disruptions to our lives as indigenous people was actually that physical and emotional and spiritual and um, uh, psychological disruption that happened in our lives when we, they severed us from our relationship to the land, our mm-hmm. homeland, that specific place on, on the earth that we made our homes, that we created this relationship with that land and all of the things that grew on the land. And the and and the and the sustenance they gave us, and also the position of our of where we lived in relationship to the stars, and how we understood who we are, uh, in relationship to things that were bigger than us, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think that people don't talk a whole lot about like how that actually contributed greatly to um, um, really impacting our health and well being. Like yeah. if you if if you, all of your stories are that are handed down to you by your ancestors and your elders and the songs and the, the prayers and the, these practices are place-based and you are picked up and you are moved to another location that isn't the place where you're from. It can be confusing to understand like, you know, who am I in this world and how am I aligned to these, to these um, entities and these things. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, we're here with Dr. Stately, uh, CEO of Native American Community clinic here in the twin cities minnesota and it's monday and it's uh five we're here at five o'clock and we're all a little thrown off but uh we're doing well and we are i just want to say this before we go off uh we are of uh made of earth and sky and uh that has to go with a little bit of what dr state was talking about we'll be right back after this short break stay with us Hey, this is Robert Pilot. I taught in St. Paul Public Schools for over 25 years, and I want you to join the team and make a difference in our children's future. Right now, St. Paul Public Schools is offering hiring and retention bonuses up to $10,000 for a variety of teaching and classroom support positions for the next school year. Grow in a supportive and fulfilling public school setting. Limited bonuses are available, so don't delay. Apply at SPPS.org slash careers. Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's Let's live live and and let let howl. howl. 
JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. A lot has changed since 2020. Metro Transit wants to hear from you to help build a network that best serves the Metro's needs for the next five years. Help us grow the right way as more resources, like more drivers, become available. Learn more, fill out an online survey, and find out about upcoming meetings in your neighborhood at metrotransit.org slash network hyphen now. metrotransit.org slash network hyphen now. When it comes to houses, disassembly is our game, deconstruction is our fame. There are some bucks for your project. Better Futures Minnesota is your contact. Instead of demolishing your home, let us take it apart by hand, and we can find the building materials a new home. Limited funds are allotted in 2023 for Hennepin County residents and public entities to make deconstruction even more affordable. Check out BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. That's BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. New at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. Kuma Wood Stoves and Fireplace Inserts. American-made, sturdy and efficient wood heaters. All models qualify for 30% tax credit you can earn for installing efficient and renewable wood heat. Come see the new wood-burning Kuma stoves and fireplace inserts. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces has been selling wood-burning products since 1977. Kuma wood burners are hard-working home heaters made from heavy, laser-cut steel. Kuma stoves and fireplace inserts have cast-iron doors and large self-cleaning glass windows. You can see the firelight and feel the heat from their efficient fire. One of Woodland's many choices to make fire work for you and your home. Work with the chimney and insulation experts. They not only install, but will guide you if you want to install yourself. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces has over 35 working wood, gas, and electric units on display at the corner of East Franklin and Riverside Avenue in Minneapolis. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services. With a look at your AM 950 weather, I'm Patrick Lilia. A chance of rain and storms late tonight with a low of 66. More scattered rain and storms possible on Tuesday with a high of 85. Fill the hot summer nights with the hottest music in the Twin Cities at Crooner Supper Club in Fridley. Crooner's is located just north of I-694 off Highway 65. View their schedules and food menus at croonersloungemn.com. Hi, this is Representative Sharice Davids from Kansas. I'm Ho-Chunk, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake, and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Native American Community Clinic on Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis, honoring health and tradition. Well, yes, they do. And uh, we are here with the CEO of Native American Community Clinic, uh, Dr. Stately. And Dr. Stately... Uh, we just, uh, we're celebrating an anniversary of the clinic and, uh, we, I know we've talked about this before, but I just want to say congratulations and that's a huge deal and a, and a, and a great landmark here in, in Minnesota. And, you know, as we are moving forward politically, it, Minnesota is a leader in a lot of, a lot of things in a lot of ways. And I just want to say congratulations to you and your, and your great, uh, group of workers there and uh really it's just uh awesome thank you so much i really appreciate it yeah 20 years um we've we've been here on the avenue on the cultural corridor and um you mentioned earlier in the earlier segment that uh, uh the lieutenant governor mentioned the investment that the state is making in the clinic and yeah we were the beneficiaries of a um capital um, improvement investment um, uh, grant, a cash allocation to help us um, build our new building, which we are going to be hopefully breaking ground on in one year. Um, And it's going to be a brand new clinic that's two stories, going to increase our footprint by about, I would say, about 50%. So we're going from about 21,000 square feet to about 31 or 32 thousand square feet 
Um, and then we are building four floors of housing, um, affordable housing and supportive housing above the clinic to sort of do our part to solve the um, intractable, unhouseless um, and home homeless issue that we have in our community, which I'm not sure if people know this in your in your. Um, I was your readership, your listenership um, uh, audience, but in Minnesota, in Minnesota, the state of Minnesota, Native people represent about twenty-five percent or so of the houseless population, and yet we're only one to two percent of the population, the general population. Mm. So, tremendous disparity there in terms of sort of that condition, and we're trying to do our part to sort of like reduce the burden of that by creating a housing project that delivers low barrier and low income and supportive housing for for our tribal relatives in the community. That can nothing but be applauded for because uh, we've talked over the years, uh, Dr. Stately, about the Wall of Forgotten Natives and uh, how unsafe it is for our, our, our relatives who have never been homeless or haven't been homeless since 1491, as the saying goes. Um and to to be able to help and uh, just all I can't imagine personally uh, what my mental uh, well being would be if I was homeless. I mean, from wet socks on. I mean, I cringe when my hair gets greasy and I get all I, I get all shiny. I need to take a shower. You know, I can't even imagine it. Yeah. Well, actually, we all cringe when that happens to you. But, uh... <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> I'm teasing you. Um, we love you, Robert. Um, I was going to say, like, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably true of all kinds of folks. We have, like, I mean, these are, like, you know, I actually try to avoid using the term homelessness, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on deleting that term from my lexicon, my vocabulary, because, like, we're not homeless. We have our homes, our homes. The earth is our home and mm-hmm. home is, um, you know, home. for many of us, this is our home, especially like one of the things that was really interesting, like, you know, we don't, we're, we're not homeless. We live on our home and the earth is our home and this community is our home. Um, but we, we, we lack house houses, right? We act wooden frames that we all have to live in and, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and the safety and the, and the security that that, um, provides um, so many more, so many other people. And so part of that is, is that um, that was really abundantly clear in the Wall of Forgotten Natives, which is, you know, one of the things I saw early on <clears throat> um, in that whole um, uh, condition or that whole situation was, you know, people would sort of get housed um, and they they get people into 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 uh, housing, but a lot of times those housing the the place where they would end up would be someplace like out in you know a two or three bedroom um, townhouse or apartment like out in like the outer ring, um, hmm. Brooklyn Center or you know Anoka or something like that, right? Someplace far away from South Minneapolis for those folks that were sort of like living near and on the cultural corridor, and you know sometimes those people would end up back in the encampment within a few days or at the navigation center, which was where people ended up with after the, after the encampment was closed down. Mm -hmm. And what that told me was, is that, you know, our relatives want to be close to one another. There's, you know, there's, there's so much, um, there's so much of that social fabric and cultural fabric, that glue that makes who we are as indigenous people, the, the idea of being close to one another, sharing space, sharing social space, communal space, ceremonial practices, you know, um, activity, you know, it's, 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 it's the stuff that happens when we go to go to powwows, which is it's, mm-hmm. it's officially powwow season, right? Um, right. Started in June. Um, uh, that, that to me is, speaks volumes to like, you know, what it is we need to um, to to be able to replicate in our communities is um, you know the idea of the ability to to have the um, the benefits that a lot of other people in the other parts of the society benefit from 
you know, safe communities where people live together closely. There's close ties to one another. There's the sharing of resources and abundance. I see this happening all the time in my own community that I live in out in Prior Lake. You know, mm. um, you know, I belong to a hockey family and a hockey a hockey program. And man, those parents, you know, many of them who are who are not indigenous, who are white, like they share their resources, their their money, their food, their you know, rides to and from things. There's a big network of support for those those folks, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are entitled to those same things. We're entitled to those same, those same benefits. Um, and so, um, <clears throat> you know, understanding that that's sort of like what we deserve and what we need and what we want is the ability to live close to one another and support mm-hmm. each other in the ways that we have always done historically in, in small villages where we know each other. And we all have eyes on each other's children and we're taking care of one another in in the best way we possibly can, right? And yeah. that system was fractured through colonization. Right. Right. And so right. and and then all the policies that you know that emanated from there. You know, what the the, the problem we see today with houselessness in our communities is a direct relationship to, you know, the failed policies of relocation from the fifties and sixties. Yeah, right. removal. Um, removal, forced removal. And those things, that that piece has to be acknowledged and it also has to be unpacked and understood. And so then what do we do to sort of recreate vibrant, vital communities is we, we acknowledge that. And not just pay a lip service, acknowledge it and then do something about that to correct it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, well, you were talking a little bit about the 50s and 60s. Maybe you can uh, tell our uh, listeners a little bit about, you know, when we were being pushed off our reservations, that people that had reservations and that were getting urbanized during the 50s and 60s. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm too too young to remember the 50s and 60s, so there's just all stories (laughs) to me. (laughs) <laughs> oh god yeah yeah me too um, i barely remember the 70s but that's a whole nother reason <laughs> man, that's exactly what I was say. um well i mean obviously so like there like one thing that um it's important to recognize or remember is if you don't know the information is like to to know that like in the 19 in the late 1950s early 60s there the federal um, federal government passed the Indian Relocation Act. Um, it was a set of policies that was designed specifically to encourage Native people to leave their home communities on their reservations or in their tribal communities and to go to urbanize and move them towards urbanization. This is another failed policy that's similar to sort of like the boarding school policy, which is like let's you know um, destroy everything that. Um, <clears throat> that you know, the glue that holds indigenous families and communities together by disrupting them and moving them all the way across different into different communities. One of the things that was fundamentally helped shape my thought process around this is when I was living in Los Angeles and I was starting graduate school. I volunteered at an organization called Urban Indian uh, 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 United Indian Involvement in downtown Los Angeles. They had a small operation on Skid Row. And I went there to sort of kind of do some volunteer work as, a, as an intern at, when I was in graduate school. And I started running groups and doing some, you know, support counseling for people who were houseless in, um, in Los Angeles. And when I would talk to people, I'd find out like none of the people that were houseless in Los Angeles, the majority of them weren't from there. They were from like New York and Minnesota mm-hmm. and, you know, um, all other places except Los Angeles or nearby, right? And they would tell me things like, you know, I grew up living in a car. My my parents were house, houseless. My great-grandparents were houseless. We came here during the Relocation Act, and we ended up not having the education, the housing, all the things that were promised to us. And then we were too far away from families to benefit from the support and the resources that we have from being closer to them in a community that took care of one another, right? And that's the fundamental impact of the relocation policies, it, 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 it destroyed um, and dismantled much of what made us Indigenous people. Mm. Like we lived in communities that took care of one another. And we're seeing the remnants of that today. 
we say that when we walk outside and we're walking around and we see houseless um, Native people living on the streets in tents, um, you know, sleeping on the concrete, this is the this is the legacy of that failed policy of those failed policies. You wow. can see it in front of you every day. Wow, you know, Dr. Stately, uh, we're going to take a break here in a, a few seconds. I just want to say, I don't know if that's the first time I've heard it explained to me that way, but it makes uh, so much sense. Uh, wow. I'm pretty stunned here. I really appreciate that information, and uh, it really, really makes sense. Wow. Hey, you're listening to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake, and we're here with Dr. Stately, CEO of Native American Community Clinic here in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, and we're going to be right back after this short break with Dr. Stately. Stay with us. Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Minnesotans age 65 plus might qualify for Health Partners Minnesota Senior Health Options. The plan includes personal support, coverage for medical prescription drugs and dental, plus over 30 extra benefits. Eligibility information is available at healthpartners.com slash one plan. Health Partners is a health plan that contracts with both Medicare and the Minnesota Medical Assistance Medicaid program to provide benefits of both programs to enrollees. Enrollment in Health Partners depends on contract renewal. When it comes to mental health, connections with others can be a way forward. How do you reach out when you need someone? What do you do to support those who struggle? Whether you're struggling or know someone who struggles, see connections as comfort, hope, and joy. Like sending a text, sharing a moment, offering a hug, seeing an old friend, seeing your grandma. Together we can find ways to create a path forward. Visit cmentalhealth.org. Visit cmentalhealth.org. Minnesota has made history by becoming the 12th state to pass paid family and medical leave into law. Starting on January 1st, 2026, you can take up to 12 weeks of paid leave when welcoming a new family member facing a health challenge or caring for a loved one. No longer will you have to choose between your job and your health or family. Join us in extending a heartfelt thank you to our legislators for their unwavering commitment to Minnesota families. Paid for by Isaiah. Visit IsaiahMN.org to learn more. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation Dogs. Get up and listen. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and this is Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. How? Wow, that was a good one. That was, uh, that was like pretty good. That harmonized. It did. Wow. Know, it sounded like, um, sound like a, a boy band. <laughs> or, or, the, or the Dixie Chicks. Well, they're yeah. actually... They're not called the Dixie Chicks anymore. And uh, they got, well, that's a whole nother radio show. Hey, Dr. Stately, you know, when you were talking, uh, I got a little emotional. And I think there's a couple reasons why, for me, uh, just that story and the removal of home and feeling close to where you're at and, uh, and a lot of the... A lot of the maybe the homeless issue is being disconnected with where they're at, and um, I, it made me think about ad adopted kids and ICWA and the things that we're dealing with. Um, you know, at the same time, there was in Canada what was called the sixty scoop, and uh, I, it, it just makes me kind of think, wow, this is all really connected because you talked about boarding schools not working for us and. Uh, you know, we're missing and murdered indigenous uh, relatives and, you know, in one way our adoptees are missing too. Yep, yep. I think that, um, you know, there's a really good friend of mine and a colleague of mine, Sandy Whitehawk, 
who has been doing this work for a number of years. She herself is a, um, you know, a, 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 a Lakota woman, I believe. Yeah. Who yeah. Um, didn't, didn't, who came to know herself that she was, you know, that she was adopted out at birth, um, you know, um, due to some of these policies we've been talking about and the impact that that had on her understanding of who she was and the relationship to her world. Um, she kind of always knew that somehow she didn't fit into the white family that adopted her. <clears throat> and this is a narrative we hear all of the time. And, you know, and, the, the, and this issue isn't lost on me. Um, you know, I have um, my own personal experience. I don't talk about this a whole lot. But, um, you know, I, I, had a, I had a rocky relationship with my mother in my teen years. I have 16-year-old boys now, and, man, I can understand that relationship really well. Like, Payback. Um, she, she, oh, God, she must have had tremendous patience for me because I guarantee, <laughs> like, you know, she gave me that curse that all parents give their child, right? You know, that, like, I hope one day you have a son just like you, you <laughs> know? Got and, um, and then, I, and yeah, and then I got the, the double curse. So, you know, I got these two boys that I adopted at birth, which were beautiful and wonderful, and now somehow they've transformed into, you know, episodic demons. You know, at sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, when I in my relationship with her and my in my um, adolescence, I was I was you know I was it was a it was a it was a complex and it was a um it was a challenging relationship because like i was coming of age in the like the mid 70s right and um i was seeing things and hearing things i was seeing indian child welfare act take place in front of my eyes i was reading about you know wounded knee i, I had relatives that were you know um had positions of leadership in AIM and all these. I saw I saw the American Indian sort of renaissance happening before my eyes. I was reading literature and studying those things in high school. And there was a challenge at one point in time where I was trying to understand the world around me phenomenologically and the things I was learning about, you know, um, where where my, I came from and where my ancestors came from and trying to reconcile it with this idea of like, you know, my I went to boarding school in this uh, in South Dakota, St. Joe's School for Indian Children, and I had some pretty horrible experiences there. Right, like you know, as, as a young child, like physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional, psychological mm. abuse, the whole bit. Right, and, um, <clears throat> and that we, my mom and I, had this um, disagreement around the time I was sixteen. I was angry with her. We were. He, he, yelling at her and I said to her like she, she had been drinking she'd come home that night from from um, the corral I think and um, and I said you, you you know why did you send me to that place it was horrible do you know what they did to me there and not really sort of understanding like of course she would know that ha what happened to me she had gone to boarding school her mother and her father had gone to boarding school her grandparents had gone to boarding school so she knows what that was like and she broke down and she cried and then she said, um, I didn't have a choice to send you. She said, um, child welfare was gonna take you and your older brothers and sisters away from me if I didn't find a way to take care of you. And it was the only way that I could ensure that you would stay together and I would be able to put my life together and get you back. If you went into, mm -hmm. in, if you went into, in, into foster care, I'd never ever see you again. You'd never see each other again. And it was when she said that to me that it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, like it was so weird. I can still remember this as a young man. It's like all of the puzzle pieces fell into place all of a sudden, right, for me. Mm -hmm. And I had a different way of seeing her. I had been so angry with her and so frustrated with her for making the decisions that she made and not recognizing that she made that decision out of love. She made that decision to send us away because she had no other resources why she was a product of relocation she didn't have a lot of resources neither did mm -hmm. the rest of our family and so helping it's important that we talk about these things and we speak about these things and testify to them so that people can fundamentally understand that these are the things these are the way these things impacted us as human beings and they have real real world life um, um, 
legacies that carry on for, for generations. And so I've made it my life's work to do the work that I do. And also within my own family, I adopted my sons, but I, I, I want them to know that like I chose you mm-hmm. and I'm giving, I'm giving every single thing I have to you so that you don't ever have to have that experience. And so in some small way, I'm, I'm changing, I'm changing my specific family's destiny in that conversation. Right. And we, we talk about, uh, breaking the cycle and being cycle breakers. I think our generation and the generation generation is cycle breakers. Yeah. 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 And our, my children will be generate, will be cycle breakers. And I mean, and that's how we begin to change this legacy. We with intentionally, we, we look at it, we address it. We run into the storm like Buffalo and we we say, we are going to do this and we're going to get through this and come across on the other side and we'll be stronger and more resilient. Mm. And, that, and that's, and that's how we grow together as a community. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Pretty heavy show. Dr. Stately, uh, think five o'clock works good for you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we got, well, we you know, a- there was a day and time when the five o'clock meant something different for me, right? It's five o'clock mm-hmm. somewhere all the time. So yeah. But tea time. I'd rather right? be doing this than what I used to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I know when I when I quit drinking for many years, and we're talking about, uh, I was young when I quit drinking, and I was a lot of people's uh, tolerance tester, and uh, sometimes mm-hmm. I can be that way again too. But um, yeah. I know when I was young and bouncing off the walls, there was a lot of love given freely to me and uh, and to my, uh, I guess, quote unquote, personality. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Thank God I had people, you know, even when I was drinking and using and my life was a wreck, there were people in the community who took care of me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I, you know, that's the beauty that I think one of the things also is like sort of like recognize that, you know, our community takes care of one another. When I was out sort of stumbling around, there were people in the community that would take me in, make sure I was safe, let me sleep at their house, they'd feed me and send me home the next day. And so I had someone looking out for me and that was another element of our community you know and i'm really proud that i'm 36 years 37 years sober my my children have never seen me drink a drop of alcohol be intoxicated or impaired they'll never know that of me ditto hey we'll be back tomorrow pinigigi dr stately thank you so much for being on this was a great show and five o'clock really does suit you oh hey uh, we're, if you're listening to the show, you're part of the resistance from Chief Plenty Coops to ground in which we stand on a sacred ground. We're still here. We are the seventh generation. Free Leonard Peltz here. Now. Now. Now.